positive feedback loop. And welcome back to Positive Feedback Loop. We have an amazing episode today because we have a special guest with us. Her name is Allison Blackham, and she is a midwife. And we will learn all about what a midwife is and how she's facing the challenges of the coronavirus pandemic. And also today, as always, we have Luis. Hi, Luis. Hello. And Ray. Welcome back, everybody. And I'm Stephanie. I'll be facilitating today's episode. Something to know about Allison Blackham is that she is a midwife and she owns her own birthing center. We live in the same county here in Nevada County. She's a small business owner and has been catching babies for years. She is a professional and in what an interesting industry to be in in California. So welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me with you. So tell us a little bit about you and your background so our listeners can understand who you are. I have a long story that led up to me becoming a midwife. Um, I wanted to uh, work with birth in from the time that I was in my early 20s. And at that point, the only way that one could become a midwife was to move to a foreign country. And I was not prepared to do that as I had little children. Um, and so I became a nurse and practiced part-time in nursing and part-time working with people in birth in other capacities as a doula, as a birth photographer, as a childbirth educator uh, for about 30 years. And then when I was in my early 50s, one of my close friends, who is a midwife, asked me what I was waiting for when I was like, going to get around to this. And so I went back to school and actually did live in a foreign country for a period of time in order to receive part of my training and um, became a midwife in my 50s. So that's where I came to this profession. Would you explain the difference between a doula and a midwife? A doula provides emotional and physical support in labor to, and it can be prior to labor as well and in postpartum. There is no uh, like legal procedure to become a doula. There are different standards of um, education. Uh, some people can claim to be a doula and have no background other than do they want to be a doula. A midwife is a, I'm licensed as a primary care provider in the state of California, just as a medical doctor is a primary care provider. I provide care in a specific and narrow set of circumstances. I work only with healthy pregnancies, healthy women in pregnancy throughout their pregnancy. And the first six weeks after the baby's born, I am the primary care provider also for the baby in those six weeks after birth. So I take care of people in prenatal care, pregnancy, birth, and in the postpartum period. And I also provide well person care. Um, for the interim, do testing and um, anything that's necessary for people who need help from a healthcare provider in um, in a wellness sort of setting. I have a question for you. So um, I'm wondering how many babies or mothers have you helped during your career? Like what's a ballpark range or estimate? I have been licensed as a midwife for almost four years and I have participated in the births of almost 300 babies wow. during that time. Um, That's amazing. Over the, 
or truly like vastly experienced midwife um, would, you know, they're in the near a thousand at the end of somebody's career in the United States, they probably would have had a thousand births um, in my the midwives that I trained with um, in the Philippines each had three to 4,000 births in their experience, and they're a lot younger than I am. So they've just had a lot more births in a shorter period of time. Are there any misconceptions about midwifery that people in the United States have? It's really common for people, and I appreciate the doula question. A lot of people don't know the difference between a doula and a midwife, and I often will have people say, oh, you're my daughter's doula, or um, they don't know that midwives are healthcare providers. They think, you know, it's the hippie lady with, you know, I'm, I'm going to show up in my sandals, and actually I do show up in my sandals, but I'm going to show up <laughs> and, you know, catch the baby in the corner and don't have any equipment, don't, I, I'm not prepared, I don't know what's going on other than that I am in this groovy place and, you know, I, I catch babies. Um, midwives receive, by, by law, in order to be licensed in the United States, and particularly in California, which is a, you know, very uh, rule-oriented state, um, requires quite a bit of education. I am a nurse as well as a midwife, and so that was helpful. But midwifery in the United States is a direct entry profession, and um, each state has their own legal requirements. In some states, midwifery is illegal still or illegal. Um, as a midwife, why? Why would you, why would it be? Uh, well, it's it's an interesting thing about doctors. Um, the history of midwife midwifery, obviously, um, back to the beginning of time when babies started being born, babies were generally received into the hands of another woman, usually that, you know, a woman's mother or grandmother or friend or someone who had some skills. And up until, um, it's, it's interesting, up until about the 1700s when the practice of medicine itself wasn't regulated really well and there wasn't, you know, a standard of education, um, somebody discovered that being at birth was a good place to make money. And so um, doctors stepped in, starting in the 1700s, 1800s, and um, took over what had been a practice that had mostly been managed by women and um, was oriented to normalcy, like your body works normally, babies are born normally, there's no big you know, it's not a crisis in birth. It's it's a normal thing that happens. Um, doctors stepped in and then started to vilify midwives. Um, in the United mm -hmm. States, a lot of the midwives were women of color and they practiced in rural settings. And so the doctor attitude was, let's, I mean, as, a, as an organization, let's make these women look bad. They, they're dirty. They aren't educated. They don't know what they're doing. And um, they're dangerous. And so then it would be, you know, more modern, more um, up to date, more safe to have babies in a hospital setting and that you have a doctor catch your baby. Um, the reality is that birth is normal and that in 99 point, you know, exponent, it could go farther percent of the time. Um, there is no need to have a medical doctor present at a birth in order for both mother and baby to be safe. And so in over the period of time from the late 1800s, early 1900s on up until about 1970 or so, 
um, midwives disappeared. They, it was hard to become a midwife. There was no standard of training. Um, and they were kind of pushed out of the picture. Um, in the mid-1970s, a group of women in California realized that they couldn't afford medical care. They weren't going to be able to afford to have a doctor present for their baby's birth. And so they decided to take matters into their own hands and birth at home. And they learned from each other, from medical textbooks, from whoever they could gather information from. And that was kind of the beginning of the rebirth of midwifery in the United States. A midwife named Ina Mae Gaskin is kind of the mother of modern midwifery, midwifery in the United States. Um, she learned from MDs, and they learned they most of the most of the people in the United States were born at home up until you know about the 1920s, and so within the memory of the doctors that she was working with, there were a lot of home births. And, and when they so, worked in home births, the, the doctors would come to their homes? No, generally women would, well, yeah, doctors would make home calls and babies would be born at home um, if it wasn't a situation where they still had access to a midwife. Hmm. And so doctors would come to your home, your baby would be born at home. There was no need to be in a hospital. And even in the area prior to antibiotics, people did recognize that hospitals were a place that you went to die. You could get infections there. It was not a place where you wanted to be if you were not sick. And so home was a safer, cleaner, healthier place to give birth for most people. So in the early part of the century, yes, doctors would make home calls and house calls and babies would be born at home and cared for at home. Um, as the midwifery movement grew, there were places where it was easier to find a midwife. In California, um, I some midwives actually went to jail for practicing midwifery. Wow. Um, a midwife still alive now. She basically said my jail sentence was going to nursing school. She became a certified nurse midwife, which then made her legit in the eyes of doctors. Um, but they, they actually had clients um, who sheriff's deputies who happened to be pregnant women wired for sound went to this midwife and verified that she was indeed giving pregnancy care and they took her and put her in jail wow. so um midwifery became legal in um you know one state at a time i think there's still 12 states in the united states where it's not legal to have birth outside of a hospital so if you lived in one of these states and you decided you wanted a home birth you are committing a crime and um, stand a chance of having your children taken by CPS or something like that. I have, um, I have so many questions. Go, yes. go ahead, Steph. Was California the first state to legalize midwifery? I don't believe so. And okay. I'm not, I don't, I don't have the history. When I first returned to California, I lived in Washington state. I was not licensed as a midwife yet. And I was interested in working at birth. Um, I was told I would lose my nursing license. I was, I'm a, I was a nurse and I was told I'd lose my license if I went to a home birth. So it's, it's fairly recent. So I was going to ask, you said there's, you know, about a dozen states that still consider midwifery illegal yes. or midwifery. And is that because just a old law or is it, are these states just making sure that the people, the babies that come out are registered under the state and that they're not, there's no anonymous people around. 
Well, midwives are required to uh, file birth certificates. So I don't okay. think it's the it's that aspect of it. I think it is. Yeah, they're my primary care providers. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, and I have I am obliged by law. I won't take clients who don't want to do don't have a birth certificate. By the way, if somebody says we're not going to have a birth certificate, I won't do it. I think it's more a misunderstanding of midwifery and also the rivalry between an alternative healthcare practice and and standard medicine. So doctors don't want competition for this really lucrative. I mean, it's not. I don't make that much money as a midwife, but doctors make a whole lot of money um, mm-hmm. in maternity care, and I mean that's the biggest money maker in most hospitals. The, your clients are healthy; they keep getting pregnant, they keep coming back. So it's it's a place where they're they're making a lot of money. Then I think doctors, a, a lot of doctors, sincerely do believe that midwives are poorly trained and that birth is dangerous, and so I can't blame them um, if that's their mindset. Most MDs have never attended a birth outside of a hospital. They have never worked with a midwife or learned what we do. A doctor who is a very dear friend of mine, who's actually my doctor when I had um, one of my babies, said, I trust you. I trust that you'll make good choices and you won't bring me train wrecks if I have to transport somebody to the hospital. But I think that women who give birth outside of a hospital are just selfish. They're just, they want this special experience and they're not thinking about the safety of their baby. So some doctors legitimately do feel that way. And you disagree with that doctor? Yes. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Historically, uh, birth is, was an extremely dangerous time for both the women and the children. But a lot of that's changed. And there's a reason why, as you said, you take care of births where the mother is healthy and it's a healthy pregnancy there is a time to do it in the hospital and there's a time where doing it at home is not necessarily much more dangerous or in fact it might be less dangerous than doing so in a hospital where infection is much more likely. So when you try to compare like the risks of a woman giving birth in a hospital versus in the home, um, what would you say like are some of the risks, you know, I'm thinking about infections in the hospital versus, you know, having an emergency at home. What would you, what would you say? Um, Given that birth is normal and safe, For most women, the relative risk is intervention versus um, inability uh, um, or lack of emergency uh, equipment. So I would say that in a hospital, a woman in the United States has a one in three chance of having a cesarean. So 30% or more of all women having babies give birth by cesarean. Um, that is because it's, there's a lot of things involved in that. One, uh, a piece of it is uh, risk. Um, doctors do not want to have any babies have problems, and so they tend to intervene faster to let's do surgery now rather than let's wait uh, for 15 minutes to see how this turns out. I have seen uh, doctors intervene in cases where I knew baby was fine. They knew baby was fine, but they wanted to get things going more quickly. So they do a C-section. You can't tell me that one in three women can't give birth normally. I mean, mm. I, I mean that 30% of all women are incapable of giving birth normally. That, I mean, evolutionary, you know, why would we have overpopulation on the planet if, if that was the, tra- the case? In an out-of-hospital setting, I have equipment to deal with hemorrhage, resuscitation. Um, Most of the time with what I'm dealing with is 
keeping things normal. So in a hospital setting, you are generally in a bed, hooked to a monitor, restricted on eating and drinking, and that's not normal. And you could be there 24, 36 hours, not getting food, not getting water, not being able to move. And that makes birth abnormal. That makes it, I mean, birth is meant to be an active process, moving, walking, eating, drinking. It's normal. And when you put somebody in a bed and you don't let them move and you don't feed them or give them hydration, um, that can create situations where there is higher risk, where babies go into distress. Um, it used to be that labor in a hospital setting was limited to a certain amount of time. If you're not progressing, if you're not dilating one to two centimeters every one to two hours, you're going to jack up your labor and give you medication to make it go faster, which makes babies go into distress. And so the risk of intervention would increase in a hospital setting. So in a hospital, your chance of having a major, major surgery is one in three. And yes, you are exposed to whatever, you know, bad pathogens are in a hospital setting. They do a really good job in preventing stuff, but you're in the place where sick people are. In a home setting or in a birth center setting, we're working with normal. So if somebody's getting dehydrated, yeah, I can give them something to drink and I can also start an IV. We're up and we're moving. Um, we're encouraging. We're not putting a time pressure on somebody. If baby is fine, we're listening to the baby. We can hear the baby's heartbeat. We can see that mom is fine. And as long as mom and baby are fine and she is making progress, there's no pressure to do things differently than her body is prepared to do. So the biggest emergencies that you often see in birth when somebody's been normal and healthy all the way through pregnancy, all the way through birth, um, biggest risks are hemorrhage and the need to resuscitate a baby. And we are trained to do both of those things. And we carry the equipment to do both of those things. So if I needed to do a C-section, no, I could not do that. And I would be spotting that way before it was an emergency, like way before we needed to call 911. We would be on our way to a hospital. I become an advocate rather than the person who is the baby catcher at that point. We are prepared to deal with the common emergencies that are associated with birth. And we can, and we, we can do it, and we do it with good skills. What do you uh, think about, you know, the use of epidural anesthesia and uh, any side effects you're concerned with or you know, what's um, your an, ep there? Um, an epidural, an epidural is something that can actually save, um, can save people from a C-section in certain circumstances. If somebody's been in a long, long, long labor and they're just wiped out and they're really tired and they're not making progress then an epidural might make the difference between I'm going to have my baby vaginally or I'm going to have my baby by surgery. But a lot of people are using it like preemptively. I'm not going to feel labor. I'm not going to have any. I'm right. just going to go in. And in that case, it is a higher risk. You've had a major anesthetic. Your blood pressure often drops. It can cause the baby's heart rate to drop. Um, it can set you up for an, a C-section. So if they're using, you know, it, it can be used appropriately. And I've seen it used appropriately. And it can be used um it can use for the wrong reasons and it can make more problems. So I, I, I have a question. You've made mention of this a few times now, mm -hmm. and I'm sure our listeners are also curious, but when you say catching a baby, why, yeah. mm -hmm. why is that the terminology you're using? I think a lot of midwives use different terms. Some people say receive, um, catch, 
is as opposed to deliver. Um, medical doctors say they deliver babies, which implies that somehow they gave the baby to the mother. They did it. <laughs> and in birth, they did not do it. The woman um, delivered her own baby in any case, whether her hands were catching the baby or not. And some women do catch their own babies. And we, you know, the joke is that, you know, pizzas are delivered, uh, you know, babies aren't delivered. So, so it, it's um, more about ownership and less about, uh, not ownership necessarily, but about giving back that power to the, the, the woman and less about having a baseball mitt and catching the child. Right. And that's, I think that's kind of, I'm really glad you mentioned that because that really is the essence behind what midwifery is. It is a client-led care. The woman is in charge of her own care. She is the one who directs the care. And I mean, within parameters, I'm not going to do something crazy and I'm only going to do what's safe, but everything that we do is in consultation with the mother and her family and she is the one who determines where her baby is going to be born, like not just like hospital or home, but she can give birth in any room in the birth center. She can give birth in the closet if she wanted to. As long as we can make everything safe, she will be calling the shots. It's her baby. And she is the one who is in charge of her own care. And that's something that differs dramatically from the medical model of care, where it, basically medical model in, is this is an emergency waiting to happen and you don't get to tell us what you will do. You will, we will tell you mm. what to do. You, you, so. you've, you've uh, put this out there and now I have to ask, what is the <laughs> most interesting question or uh, request you have received as a midwife? Well, not necessarily <laughs> the one that you've honored, but the no. one that you've received. Well, there's, there's two. One, um, one is COVID related. <laughs> the other one, the first one I can think of is because you know, I am a midwife and I am in a, I'm a, I live on the edge of a community of pretty um, alternative children of the hippie era who are now, I mean, now they're grandchildren of hippies, but, um, and I catch babies in yurts, I catch babies outdoors, but I would say the most unusual one was um, a dad who wanted to cut the umbilical cord using a, using a big giant obsidian blade. And I was like, okay, as long as the blade is sterile. That's and metal. I mean, yeah. it's not. It's obsidian, but yeah, obsidian. Yeah, it was. It was kind of interesting. Wild. I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> yeah, you can as long as it's sterile. You can. I mean, I guys literally have bitten through the cord. I wasn't there for that, but I've heard about that. So that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I, I have yep. another question uh, about mm -hmm. water births. Do you yes. perform a lot of water births? And I heard also some people like to. Um, and you talked about birth photography. Are you also mm -hmm. Um, you know, do, do most of your clients also prefer to have video, you know, capturing yeah, yeah. the moment? Yes. On the question with birth photography, a lot of people like to have a picture or some pictures. Most people will prefer it immediately after birth. So like they've just caught the baby, they've caught their baby, they're holding their baby. And one of the midwives will grab a camera um, and take pictures for them. We have always have two midwives present at every birth in our practice. So there's always one midwife who's able to do that. But actually hiring a birth photographer, somebody who has some skills, they would have to be able to be someone who's familiar with birth and also not very obtrusive. And they tend to be kind of expensive. And so, yes, some people do want everything blow by blow and other people just want to make sure that they record the, the special moments. When I first started as a birth photographer, my job was to make sure that I could record the event without, you know, 
um, recording anything that the mom wouldn't want her mom, dad, and other relatives to see afterwards. And so it was modest birth photography. Um, but yeah, you get a lot of people um, who want who want the pictures, but they you know they're not willing to hire those super expert people who do beautiful photo essay births. Birth photography has actually affected how birth works. Um, most of the time, by the time a woman is ready to give birth, she is naked. She has no clothes on because she's lost all her modesty. She doesn't care. She's about to push a baby out. Birth photography, sure. women are giving birth in sports bras because it's going to be photographed and they don't want the world out there. So, and that actually has impacted breastfeeding because the natural thing for babies to do as soon as they're born is to go up to the mother's breast and eat first feeding as soon as the baby's out. And with the sports bra there, you're taking the pictures and that delays that onset of breastfeeding. So kind of interesting in terms of water birth. Yeah. We, um, everybody, I think everybody should have the option to labor in water. Water can reduce your pain up to 80%. And so they call it the midwife's epidural. And so being wow. in a birth tub is cool. A lot of people will choose to labor in water, but give birth on land. And that's fine. Um, I've done a lot of water birth. What do you mean it, by that? Give birth on land? So they would, they, they in, the, in the right moment, of, they stand up? Okay. Yeah, we just, they stand up and, and go push someplace else. Pushing in water, if you've never pushed a baby out before, which none of you have, guys, is nope. it's kind of counterintuitive. Like okay. it's like your the baby your body wants to float and you you have to use gravity and so for some people it's a little bit hard to make that work. Uh, water birth works really well for a lot of people. It's really great for pain reduction and, and it's also really wonderful as a sense of relaxation and comfort for the mom. Is there like a perfect they, temperature of the water? Yeah, like, yeah. it's usually um, it's above body temperature but not by a whole lot. It's warm. It's like you just think of a nice warm bath. It's pretty warm. And we use a 150 gallon tub, so there's plenty of water. There's room for mom and dad in the tub, and yeah, so it works really well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Allison. That's really interesting, and I'm glad that we got to ask you these interesting questions about what even the details of being a midwife and the interesting requests. And you mentioned that you had also a COVID-related story. So after the commercial break, we'll take a break right now. And then after, I would love to start with that story and hear about that second interesting request you received. <laughs> we'll take a break right now and see you on the other side. Hi, this is Allison, a midwife at Mariposa Birth and Wellness. Call us or visit our website, mariposabirth.com. Our phone number in California, 530-264-7174. Come and visit us. Come and see our beautiful birth center. Have your baby with us. We'd love that. Happy, healthy, normal, safe, legal midwives in a great setting. Hope to see you. Welcome back to Positive Feedback Loop Podcast. We have been talking with Allison Blackham about being a midwife and the experience of midwifery in modern day America. And now I want to go back to that question I asked in the first half. Uh, following up, you had a you've had some interesting requests from people for their birthing experience, and you said you had an experience related to COVID. 19. And so I thought we would talk in this second half of the episode about how the coronavirus pandemic has changed your practice or, or challenged you. But I'd love to hear first that interesting request story. We can, we can go from there. I kind of have two, and they're on two ends of the spectrum. A client of mine had a baby about 
uh, four weeks ago. They're part of a pretty reclusive religious community. Um, that's one of the things midwives get called out to do home births for families who aren't real thrilled with the medical practice or are just a more private community. And this particular family was aware of the request to stay at home. Governor Newsom announced the stay at home order. However, their children attend a school run by their church, and it was really important to them that their son be able to attend the end of the year school gathering. And I am meeting with them in their home, telling them, I've been talking to them about social distancing and what I required for my safety, because I have family members, you know, I don't want to be taking home stuff to anybody either. Um, I required that they do social distancing as best they could, but they were bound to determine that they were going to have this party for their kid. And I told them that if their son went to the school party, I would not be doing their home birth and that they would have to go to the hospital, which is really kind of horrible and sad because they are not only them. I've had I've caught other babies for them before. And so this family said, well, we're going to have the baby before that party. So they self-induced. They gave themselves. There's ways you can induce baby induced labor without medication. And um, she was within her due dates and she induced her baby and she had her baby the day before the party. And I went out and did a postpartum visit in their home before the party. And then after that, all of our appointments have been through um, by distance. So that was my COVID. That was my weirdest COVID experience. Normally, we want to promote and enhance what the family wants and what's important to them and to be able to have to say, I won't do your birth if you can't comply with the rules. It was pretty awful, but their baby was born at home. He was fine. They were fine. It was great. And they got to go to their party. The other request that I've heard that seems to be more common now is that clients will request that midwives not use personal protection, that they not mask, that they not gown. Um, which is really um, not appropriate. And it's, but it is a part of what midwifery represented to a lot of people. So for many people, they've had nine months of normal pregnancy care where midwives spend more time. Like we, our prenatal appointments are 45 minutes to an hour long. We get to know you. We are your friends. We are not just your caregivers. And we work with you on a very personal level. One of the things that promotes safety in midwifery is that we know each other so well. So I can look at a client and say, you are paler than you normally are, or you look strained. You know, something's hard right now. And you can't achieve that if you only see people every, you know, for five minutes at a time in a medical office, you know, and then somebody you've never met catches your baby, which is how it is in the hospital nine times out of 10. For a client to suddenly have to switch to, this is my personal, my midwife, somebody I feel very close to, um, this is all going to be natural and cool and warm and cozy and fuzzy the way it's supposed to be. And now we're doing masks like medicine and we're doing, um, you know, we're doing gowns and I can't see your face. So people are uncomfortable with that and they request they've requested that midwives not do it and midwives have had to, you know, set limits and say, yes, we, we will be doing using personal protection equipment. We, we will be doing what we need to do to keep not only you, but all of our other clients safe. It's not just that person. It's all of the other people that we're taking care of all the new babies, all the other people we have to visit. 
So, yeah. Um, the other odd, I mean, the odd thing for me is that distancing. So for me, I can't hug anybody anymore. Every appointment I have ends with a hug and I can't hold babies. Um, I can touch them to do what I have to do, but I can't, I can't do the physical contact that I'm used to in order to be, to keep things safe and comfortable for, in the midwifery model of care, um, there's a lot more distance now. And one of the midwives was joking. It's like at the end of the appointment, we just say, oh, well, bye. And it's, it's weird um, in birth to be masked and um, not be able to see the other people's faces is, is odd to um, cut down on the number of appointments we can do in person. We're doing half by telemedicine now. So we're not able to see people in person. Um, we're asking that people listen to their own baby's heartbeats with a Doppler at home. Um, so that has changed. It's, it's creating an odd um, disconnect that is really uncomfortable and is um, switching up how we, how we manage things. Um, we're getting a whole lot of people you know, calling at the last minute, particularly at the beginning. It was like, okay, we're getting people who are 40 weeks pregnant asking if they'll, you know, we will catch their baby. And we can't do that because we have to have medical records. We have to be able to establish care. And so a lot of people were panicking. It's like, okay, you are my last hope. Um, I don't want to give birth in a hospital. I don't want to have my baby or myself be exposed to this virus. So we would, got a lot of people who never would have thought about a hospital birth who were wanting our services. Um, but we are also now getting a lot of people who had considered alternatives and see midwifery care as and out of hospital birth as a safer alternative perhaps to hospital care. So given that most babies are going home from the hospital much sooner now. A friend of mine had a baby in Orlando, Florida last week. She gave birth at 5 a.m. Her baby was home by 2 p.m. that afternoon. They're not keeping people. They're getting people out as fast as they possibly can. Home birth, you stay where you are. In a birth center, you stay where you are. We reduce the number of clients. You're not sharing a waiting room with anybody we are, you can stay here and then recover and go back to your home. So you're not exposed to all the bugs, um, COVID-19 and others. What are the, what is the average time that somebody spends in your birth center? Um, after their baby's born, of course they're here as long as they need to be before their baby's born, but it ranges. Most people, they're required to stay four hours. They have to stay four hours. And if it's in the middle of the night, they have to stay through breakfast and we feed them. Um, and once that is over, um, then they can choose to go home anywhere from four hours to 24 hours after the baby's born. Our last baby born here was a week ago tomorrow. Their baby was born at 6 p.m. and they went home at about noon the next day. And that's about average. If people, you know, you give birth late evening, late afternoon, and you eat your dinner, and we do all the newborn exam, and people rest, take a nap, and then they they will sometimes go home, but most of the time, people will stay on until the next morning. I'm surprised so. they only stay a day. I would consider staying I mean, throwing a few in days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they probably want to go home, right? They yeah, they want to go, go home. home. They want to be in their own space. And I think that's understandable. And home birth itself is, that's the thing that I can't offer in a birth center is that they already are home. There's nothing better than you gave birth, you take a shower, the midwife cleans up your bed, fixes you a meal, puts you back in bed, and you go to sleep with your baby, and, you know, you're home. So have there's you been, a lot. 
have you been having any issues in terms of PPE or supplies in terms of yeah, you know, there's been a lot of difficulties lately. Um, yeah, all over the country. I'm because I'm a self-employed healthcare provider. I don't have access to whatever hospitals would or large medical groups, and so we like made our PPE as far as gowns. My mother made me two aprons really quickly. He's like, okay. We're wearing scrubs rather than our, we usually will wear street clothes or at Tiburus, but now we're wearing scrubs, masks, head coverings. I'm wrapping my head. I was able to access five N95 masks. So yeah, we've, we've struggled with that a bit and I've been concerned. I, I've asked my clients to do their social distancing. People can carry this and be spreading it um, and not know that they have it. And I don't have the protection for myself. So I've been self-isolating. I have, um, I'm away from my family for two weeks now as my, my last birth was on, you know, I'll be gone for two weeks from this, from tomorrow away from my family because I don't want to take a chance that I'm communicating something to them. Everybody's asymptomatic. I hope they're fine, but yeah, it's been wild. The emotional toll also of seeing yourself having to put up these barriers between you and your patients or your, your clients and uh, just having to, for example, wear a gown instead of street clothes, it, it must uh, take a toll on you and on your, obviously your clients as well, who are, would hope to have a more personable experience that you're used to. Yep. It feels very strange. It's very uncomfortable. And it's, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we will see an end and a solution, but for now it's the way it has to be. And in order to be accepted which we are hoping to see more as healthcare providers and not as rebel cowboy, you know, hippie, whatever midwives, we have to comply with the requirements, the CDC requirements. We have to do that. And we want to be able to protect people. We want to be able to have everyone be safe. I told my, I went to do a postpartum visit with clients who had their baby a month and a half ago, they had their baby in the hospital, but I do all of the postpartum visits. We visit at home, make sure everything's going okay for the six weeks. And I just said, I'm going to make a, we're going to have a big party for, I can hug everybody. We're going to just have a hugging party as soon as this is over, whenever that is, because I just really need it. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is the pandemic has challenged the very core of what midwifery is. Because yep. it does have those elements of touch and close knit intimate care with the care yep. provider. And so I guess for a final question for this episode, perhaps, is where do you see the future of this industry going? Not I don't want to call it an industry, it makes it sound very businessy. Yeah. But yep. where is birthing in general going? Do you I think you mentioned that more people are at least right now, seeking home births just because they feel so afraid of going into a hospital and you're dealing with those, at, the women at 40 weeks that you can't accept because they don't have a history with you. Yeah. Uh, so what do you see for the post-COVID future? Well, if everything was logical, um, people would recognize that out-of-hospital birth is actually safer and cheaper, at least for the mom it's safer to give birth out of hospital for women in the United States. For babies, this risk is about the same as in the hospital. It's cheaper. I would love to be a Medi-Cal provider. I, 
I cannot be a Medi-Cal provider in my birth center at this time. I worked with Medi-Cal uh, moms in prenatal care. Um, Medi-Cal does not pay me for births. I mean, they'll pay me $400 to catch a baby, which, I mean, that won't even pay for my assistant who attends the birth with me. So I would hope that this will bring more people to take midwifery care seriously and to look at it as an alternative to uh, medical care. I know doctors in, they're trying to find pop-up birth centers in some places, New York state in particular was looking for midwives who are already licensed, ready to go. And we can send people to you because they could not take all these healthy, well people in these hospitals are overrun with people who were super sick. And so that's a thing. I think midwifery is starting to look a little bit better in an emergency to people who are really hard pressed to provide services in a hospital. So I hope it's better. I hope we, we get more business. I hope it works better. It does. It sounds like you have a future with midwifery that I think the United States at least is considering a lot of industries and ways of doing things that people didn't accept as much. And this is one of those things where it's right, the right timing to be very relevant and very useful in its And place. to catch up to the rest of the world, to be honest. Right. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Half of Makes all sense. babies are born with no attendant whatsoever. Women give birth with nobody. 50% of the world. Most yeah. of the world has midwives. United States, not so many. One to 2% of babies are born out of hospital. And like you we said, we love our industrial doctors. Yeah, we do. Yep. And like you said, women are made for this. They're biologically made to deliver a baby yeah. themselves. It and works so well. Oh, there's no shame if, yeah. if you need to go to a hospital to right. deliver. No, 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 no. It's a six. I have six birth children, gave birth six times in a hospital setting. I am medically high risk. I can never give birth at home. Aside from the fact that I'm 60 and won't anyway. Yeah, there's no going to the hospital is an alternative when we need it. Ten, yeah. I would say 10% of my clients give birth in the hospital. I go with them. I stay with them. We continue care. We need doctors. We need medical care. Thank goodness. We've got it. And to have more collaboration and a better continuity of care from midwifery care to medical care when it's needed. Yes, that's what's really important. And that's what they have in Europe that we do not have here. And probably so, for mothers, there are a lot more mothers, it seems, that are older now that are having choosing to have children older. And that's probably the higher risk population. I don't know. Some actually no, unless you are diabetic or have heart disease or other health problems, you are at no higher risk over 35. Oh, fascinating. That's just another myth. Wow. Um, yeah. Women give birth in their 40s just fine. That's so. great to know for all the women who yeah. are listening yeah. who feel, I think a, a, lot, a lot of women do feel, ha, at least have been indoctrinated by society to feel, like you said at the very beginning of this episode, that mm. birth is an emergency situation. It's a crisis. And, and your body is you faulty know. and you can't do it right. right. No, your body is natural. not a lemon. Yeah, it's normal. <laughs> and natural. if you don't do it early enough, you're spoiling <laughs> oh dear you're not spoiled uh, no <laughs> you're you're just right it works well yeah that's a great way to that's a good lesson to end this episode with is that you know our bodies are a gift and they function well and that's that we're made to do the things we do well yep so thank you so much allison for joining us in this episode and for sharing your wealth of expertise in a field that few people understand. And I think it's important to educate 
uh, everyone about it and also learn the risks and rewards and how you've how you've survived COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, we just want to thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for thank having you, me. Allison. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, everyone who's listening, visit us at pflpodcast.com. See us on Twitter at the PFL Podcast. We're obviously everywhere because you're listening to us now on Stitcher or iTunes or Google Play. Find us. We're there. And as always, stay crazy. crazy.